Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Now, if you noticed last week or a couple weeks ago, Dustin talked about some statistics that kind of blew me away. At the time of day, when this was all going on, we all heard about in the book of Acts, this is after Jesus had lived, died, and was resurrected. He hung around the earth for about 40 days and just started having lunch with people. People were walking down the road. He just popped up next to him and was like, what's goody? Um, you know, Jesus was just hanging out with the people, right? He was spending time with them, loving them well. And then all of a sudden, out of this birth started to birth the church, right? And we realized that as the church was growing, some people didn't quite like that, okay? They weren't a big fan of it. But up to this point... At Jesus leaves and says, listen, I'm going to provide my helper for you. I'm going up to heaven. I'll be back for you one day. Um, he, he has about 120 disciples at that point of the way. It's about 120 of them. And then they're instructed to go to this upper room where this Holy Spirit experience happens. Jesus sends, God sends the Holy Spirit down upon them. They start speaking in tongues, different languages. All these things start to happen. And they uh, begin to grow rapidly because they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. right? And those 120 disciples, in a matter of months became 120,000 followers. Man, that's a lot of people to tell, right? I, I can't do math. Is that 1,000 a person, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Let's go. Proud of that. 1,000 a person, right? Whatever. However it worked out. Maybe someone carried more load. I don't know. But as they were in the upper room, the Holy Spirit dwelled upon them, and they become empowered to preach the gospel. And within six months, Within six months, there'd been 120,000 followers. Within 50 years, there would be over half a million followers of the way. The beauty of this power is that we're going to learn something today that God used everyday, ordinary people to take his mission across the world. But the problem with this, right, is that as the church, we don't quite believe, right? We don't quite believe that God still works in that way. We, we really look at this and we say, listen, I'm not quite sure what you're asking of me because I'm not Billy Graham, right? I'm not going to stand in front of a thousand people and preach. Like, that's just not my forte. Some of you, like, are struggling one-on-one conversations. You're like, it's hard for me to talk to the person at Starbucks and order my drink without feeling weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's uncomfortable for me. I want you to know something that as we talk a little bit about what these people are and who these people are, as we talk about them that Dustin mentioned, we're going to dive a little bit deeper on how, how we really are much closer to, to them than you realize. Because we look up and we say, listen, I'm not Peter, right? I didn't walk on water, okay? He sunk, right? Loser. But you know what I said? I didn't walk on water. I didn't have that power. I didn't preach no fire sermons. Maybe you were John, right? John was one of the only disciples that actually went to the crucifixion, right, publicly. Like went up there to go help take care of Jesus, take care of his mother, all that fun stuff. He was one of the only ones to actually do that, brave enough to do that. You're like, I wasn't there when Jesus was crucified. Barnabas was running around and, and teaching and preaching the gospel, right? Or maybe you weren't the giant Paul. Paul, who, who was once Saul, had this road to Damascus moment where he gives his life to Christ. God blinds him and he crosses from death to life. And then he starts to write a majority of the New Testament. Maybe you're not Toby Mac, man. You're like, I don't got a big old conference where people can listen to me sing and I get an opportunity to preach the gospel. Maybe you're not even Dustin Woods, right? This slump on the stage that walks up here and preaches the word. And you look at him and say, man, I could never do that. Can I give you a little bit of relief? Especially you at home as well. Maybe you're not called exactly to that part of the mission. 
but you're absolutely called to play a part in the mission. Because we start to, we attach the movements of God and the gospel to these great names. We think, if only I was like so-and-so, then maybe, just maybe, I can make a difference. But can I ask you something? Has anyone in here ever asked themselves, honestly, and I'll raise my hand, you don't have to raise your hand. I make teenagers do it because it's fun to bully them. But I'm just kidding, I don't do that. I don't bully your kids. But you raise your hand if you're like, I, you ever felt like, could God really use me? You ever looked in the mirror and asked yourself that? Could God really use me? If you, in your heart of hearts, have ever felt that way, you're in good company. Because about 10 minutes ago, I was sitting next to that stage about to walk on here, and I said, God, can you really use me? God, can I really preach a word that is edifying to everyone in the room? Could I really? And the answer is on my own, no. But the answer is with the power of Christ, yes. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, I may not be able to, but he who in me can so let's think. We, we spend so much time thinking maybe if we read so-and-so's book or we, we take so-and-so's strategy or we listen to so-and-so's podcast, maybe we would grow up in what it looks like to like Christ and everything would be better. Maybe if we had better authors. Maybe if we had a passion of the Christ too. Maybe if we had all these things that were going to make think people draw attention to God, then maybe, just maybe, we would feel comfortable enough to share what's going on within our lives and what God is doing in our hearts. You ever felt like Nobody? Man, there's days I sit in a room and I think, God, I, I'm the, for sure, the least intelligent person in this room. I'm sitting in a room with pastors and think, I am the least qualified in this room. I sit in our staff meetings and think, man, I'm not doing what they're doing. Man, they're leading their families and their kids and their wives and their husbands so well. And I'm, I'm struggling to make sure I read my Bible every day. Can I tell you something? That God likes to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Not because you're deserving or special or magical, but because he is faithful to see people come to know him in and through you. Which brings me to our sermon. I'm just kidding. I've been preaching. Y'all stop. Y'all stop it. Y'all know what I'm saying. That brings me to my eight-point message. Just kidding. It's four. Um, Did you know that the greatest movement of the gospel, as Dustin mentioned before two weeks ago, this is all recap, Dustin mentioned the greatest movement of the gospel was arguably takes place in this moment. There are no giants clarified. There are no amazing prophets or disciples or pastors or preachers. There was no Sermon on the Mount. There was no evangelism tent. There was no viral video. There was nothing. One of the greatest movements of the gospel was started by a few people. And you know what those people were called? This is where a few men, you know. They were called them. God used them to start the greatest movement, one of the greatest movements in the New Testament. Let's read. Acts 11 verse 19 through 26. If you're not there, it'll be up in the Bible in the sky. You can peep that there. If you're at home, it'll be on your screen. Here we go. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Hear that. They were only speaking to Jews, only preaching to Jews at this time. It was very, very inclusive or very exclusive group there. But there were some of them. We're going to do a couple times, so that was your practice run. Men of Cyprus and Syrian who coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. Fun fact for you, Hellenists simply means Gentiles, non-believers. I don't know why they use that word. It just sounds fancy too, um, but that's the way it works. Also preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them. I missed it. He exhorted 
them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let me tell you real quick, it doesn't mention this three reasons why this is the greatest movement. Number one, this is the first church planted amongst the Gentiles, meaning if you were not Jewish, there were no churches, or if you weren't Jewish, there were not churches for you. This would have been the first church that was given for people like you and I. If you are not Jewish in this room, you would have been at this church, right? This would have been the only church for you. You didn't have 25 churches all in one block to pick from, right? Because you like this music, you like that pastor, you like this children's ministry, you don't get to a la carte this bad boy. You had one choice, and this would have been it. Number two, This is the first church that the disciples were called Christians. Listen, people weren't called Christians. In fact, do you want to know who called Christians Christians? People who weren't Christians, okay? They had started to see this great movement of God, and they're like, dude, these people are like that weird Christ guy. So, like, we're going to call them Little Christ. That's not a fitting name, right? Like, what an amazing movement of the gospel. They were living in such a way that the people that didn't know Jesus looked at them and said, yes, that guy definitely loves Jesus. And I'm like, that's what I want to be known as, right? Like, how many of you would say, like, I'm a Christian, it's a badge of honor, right? That's a badge of honor for me. People are like, what do you believe in? I'm like, I'm a Christian. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, but these people were identifying them as Christians. So that means that when they were driving through the McDonald's drive through line and they messed up their order, they weren't screaming and cussing at the person for forgetting their mocha frappe, you know what I'm saying? They were walking through life living in such a way that people couldn't help but look at them and say, man, those people are like Christ. And either one or two reactions usually would follow, I'm sure. Stay away from those guys, they're weird. <laughs> or, man, I want what they got. And whatever you got, I want that. Christ became so attractive. Here's another thing that kind of blows my mind here. Is we have to remember that the, the, the thing that drove them into this missional type living was that God had scattered them. He would sent them out where they were at. And he had called them to be present where they are. So we're going to talk about this acrostic of them. T-H-E-M. I spelled it wrong in the first service. Don't ask me how. I just did it. T-H-E-M. Okay. This is the acrostic. And how this works is we're going to talk about this them group of people who often we overlook and don't think about but have to realize something that this is not just about who they are but what they did. This them group of people, they did some pretty remarkable things. And so I'm going to give you an acrostic here. I just learned what acrostic was this last week. So uh, this acrostic here, and we're, we're going to dive a little bit deeper in what they did. Let's start here. Number one, they took God's mission personally. They took God's mission personally. You ask yourself, why do we find them in Antioch, right? Why did they go to Antioch? Is it because they had a great real estate deal and a three-bedroom, two-bathroom two house? Was it because there was a Chick-fil-A in that city and everyone knows that you want to be in a city near a Chick-fil-A? Can someone bring a Chick-fil-A here, please? That would be cool, right? You're like, never be five miles away. It's, that's a sin, I'm sure. Um, but no, no, no. It was because they, them, them, this group of people, They took the mission of Christ personally. When the Bible says that they were scattered, it means that they were moved and they were dispersed. So they started to embrace the calling of God in their everyday life. They started to take Christ and trust God with wherever he took them. Now hear me. I I know a lot of us think about when when we walk through these motions, we think about, okay, cool, what does it mean what does it mean for me to take Christ in everything in life? I'll tell you what it is. 
in my jobs, my schools, my classrooms, and where I live. Maybe for you, the mission field is the person who shares a room with you. Maybe the mission field for you is the person down the hall or the teenager you throw snacks at and hope that they don't come out and rip your face off. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's who it may be for you. Or it might be the job or the boss that you can't stand to work for, but God says, I have you placed there because you are the very person that I want to preach my gospel to him. Because God puts you where you are to live on mission. In fact, you know God loved you so much that he saved you, but do you know that God loves you so much that he also saved, he also saved you because he loves the people around you? God loves you so much that he saved you, but you know what? He also saved you because he loves the people around you. Instead of relying on others to say, what does it mean for me to intentionally love and disciple my family? What if you started to take ownership of loving and discipling your family? What if I started to pray with my family? What if I started to take them to church with my family? What if I started to live daily with them on life and talk about what's going on in their lives and stay updated with what's going on in them? Because we need to know that these people, them, what did they do to become part of them? What did they do? They took God's mission personally. Number two. Number two. They had gospel conversations. Verse 20 says this. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Syrian, who, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. You have to hear something important here. They were having conversations and gospel conversations everywhere they went. In fact, they weren't just having gospel conversations. They were having normal everyday conversations with people they didn't agree with. Crazy. Right? Like, we love to talk to people who look like us, think like us, and act like us. Like, listen, I'm a diehard Dallas Cowboy fan, and I love talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Like, it's ridiculous. It's maybe a little bit, little G-God in my life. I'm not sure yet. I haven't navigated that yet. Um, but I know everything about him that there is to know that's important to know, okay? And so, if you were to come up to me and walk up and say, like y'all always do, I know, you always do. You're like, oh, you like the Cowboys, oh, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and you bully me. You know they're not good. I'm like, I know they're not good. There's a reason I cry every season, okay? But here's the thing. It's very easy and natural for me to just have a conversation with somebody. But a lot of times, we don't like to have conversations, gospel conversations with people that may feel uncomfortable. I don't really want to bring up God because then it gets weird. These people were taking God to their doctor's office, to Walmart, to everywhere they go. So when they were interacting with the person at Starbucks who got their order wrong, because you asked for 15 pumps of mocha frappe ropa or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Instead of yelling and screaming at that person, throwing your coffee cup, say, what if... Your reaction was loving and gracious, and you took it as a gospel opportunity. And you're like, that's extreme and silly. It's not. But you know what's also crazy is they weren't just preaching the gospel to people, but they were talking and doing life with people. If your friend group and everyone you're around looks like you, acts like you, and just thinks like you, you're probably not living out the Great Commission to the fullest capacity. What does that mean? Listen, y'all. I know, because I think I'm getting old enough to this age. I'm getting closer to 30. And you guys are like, wow. I'm getting closer to, I'm getting closer to 30. Um, where I'm starting to go to Walmart, and I'm starting to see teenagers, which I deal with all the time, doing TikToks in Walmart. And I'm like pushing my buggy, and in my mind I'm thinking, man, those kids always doing their little TikToks in the hallway. Well, whatever, right? What if my conversation shifted, and instead of looking at that or some older, older man who I'm like, why are you so angry and you're losing your mind right now? Instead of looking at it like they're just some grumpy old man. What if I started, what if I started to take those moments to put a gospel deposit and invite them to church? And when the teenager, 
you know, be careful, please, obviously. But when a teenager is out here acting a fool, what if instead of immediately casting judgment, I walk up to them and say, hey, how are you? You guys look like you're having a lot of fun. You know what also is a lot of fun? There's this amazing youth group that happens on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. There's an amazing youth pastor with some amazing youth workers, some amazing worship, and it's awesome and a lot of fun. I heard there's pizza and candy and a lot of good things going on. You should go. Oh, well, I don't have a ride. I'll give you a ride. Let me ask your mom. Let me talk to your dad. I'd love to give you a ride. What if we started to shift our mind and we started to live so missionally that our conversations naturally gear to inviting people into the amazing work of the gospel and what God is doing in our lives? Instead of just saying, yeah, it's six o'clock, I just got off of work and I'm kind of off the clock. We can have that conversation another day. And here's another thing. This is actually so funny, and it's actually really spiritual, so I need you to prepare your mind and heart for what I'm about to say. Um, I heard this really spiritual quote, and it's so good. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Like, it really just wrecks my heart. It really gets me down to the core. So everyone, get your tissues ready. How this quote goes, it says, you preach the gospel. Excuse me, right? If necessary, use words. Man, that's beautiful, right? You're like, man, can you imagine walking around life and I'm living so godly and so holy that people are just coming to Jesus around me. They're just like, I'm just walking to a room and I'm just like, how's everyone doing? Blessings, blessings. And I was like, oh my goodness, I need to give my life to Christ right here. What are you doing? No, like we have to stop for a moment and realize something, right? We cannot preach the gospel without using words. We can't assume that somebody will come to know Jesus. We can't assume that our grandkids, our kids, our mothers, our brothers, our sisters, our aunts, our uncles, our friends, our neighbors, our boss, our coworkers, we can't assume that they'll come to know Jesus because they know we go to church. Or because we got our little Christian tattoo or Christian necklace or you're going to wear your living scent church to work and hope that someone comes to know Jesus. We are called as them to preach the gospel. Don't get me wrong, life is important. How we live our lives is important. I'm not saying it's a passage, just talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. It's important that our actions authenticate our words. That's very important. We have to believe and live out what we're preaching, but we also have to speak it. Because they said that believing is not just based off seeing, but it's off of hearing. Someone has to hear the word. Someone has to hear the gospel. And there are crazy instances I know where people give their life to Christ in dreams. Crazy stuff happen. I know God is a God of miracles. That's imperative. But one of the ways that God uses is he tells us to go and tell. We have to tell people the gospel. Let me give you a fun fact real quick. These people were so intentional within their communities that they were so diverse in so many ways. Um, Did you know, did you know, this is all the United States, so don't, don't don't throw rocks at me. I'm not blaming us. I'm not saying this. But it is part of us. We're part of the problem. Did you realize that our local schools, the local schools in a community, any community in the United States you go to, is 20 times more likely to be more integrated and, and, and culturally diverse than the local churches? And I asked myself, how is that possible? Because a lot of times what we start to do in life is we start to settle down with having conversations with people who look like us, think like us, and act like us. And we fail to cross cultural barriers to reach people for the gospel. When the Jewish boys were running around telling Gentiles about Jesus, they looked very different, they acted very different, and they looked very different and talked very different, and it would have been a very different experience for them. It wasn't like they were all looked the same and acted the same. This would have been crazy news to people. In today's world, if you live in the United States, if someone were to say Jesus, you would would most likely know who you're talking about. Most likely. At least have an idea of who Jesus is. 
But in this day and age when this new movement is going, where there's no social media or news feeds or anything happening in this moment, this would have been brand new news to these people. And they're going to people who don't look like them, think like them, and act like them. They don't worship the same gods. They didn't vote for the same president. Completely different. And they started to invite them into relationships. They started to have conversations. Number three. They were empowered by the Spirit. When's the last time, like, you walked into a room, someone's like, man, there's Etienne, powered by the Spirit. And I'm like, oh, thank you, thank you, that's me, you know. These people were so empowered by the Spirit that they were walking in the footsteps of Jesus, what he had called them to do, that people were noticing them. Not for just what they were saying, but what they, what they were doing. Now we have to remember that Christianity was growing in a time when it was very hostile for you to be a Christian. It was not like high five, patty cake, you gave your life to Christ, post it on Facebook. Now that's not how it worked here. They were walking in a time where this could cost you your life and yet people were so hungry for it that they were risking everything for the power of the gospel. Do you notice that any time, and this is important, do you notice any time that God uses someone great in the Bible or uses someone for a great action, do you notice it usually follows or goes before that it, the hand of the Lord was upon them, God was with them, uh, the Spirit of God led them or empowered them? Do you notice that? Well, let me tell you something. A lot of times we look at these giants and these juggernauts and we think, I could never be those guys. Well, guess what? We can be them. We can be the very people of God going through the everyday stuff of life and we could put our trust in the Holy Spirit that dwells within us and we could trust the Spirit to guide us through these moments. A lot of times as a pastor, I get the great privilege to lay hands on people and pray. Um, James 5 talks about elders come together and pray for people. That's an amazing and beautiful thing and we believe in the power of Scripture and we want to be obedient. But can I tell you something? My prayer is no more special than yours. Because the same Spirit of God that lives in me lives in you. There's no hierarchy or no, like, you're pastors, you got a more, you're, you're more spiritual than me. No, I wake up some days and forget to read my Bible too, okay? Devotions, not very good at them, okay? I'm, like, pretty good at reading God's Word when it comes to studying and preparing and I spend time in God's Word. But it's hard for me some days to wake up and jump into a devotion. And I forget. And then I get in a rhythm for, like, four or five days and not forget for four or five days. But when we, as the people of God, come together to accept the calling of God upon our lives, we start to live on mission and love people well, then guess what? We can trust the Spirit of God that lives within us. Because we spend a lot of time sitting back and saying, man, we just need another Billy Graham. Man, we just need a president who loves Jesus. We just need a governor. We just need a teacher. We just need a mom. We just need a pastor. We just need a dad. We just need someone to preach the gospel so that people will hear it. And what if I told you that God didn't need to send someone? He can use us. He wants to invite you into the very rescue mission. He doesn't just say you're saved and redeemed. Awesome, great. You're making it to heaven. That's great. He says, now I want to use you. And you know what the cool part about all this is? It's not just that he, he, he's going to help you get through this, but God's word tells us that he gives you everything you need, that he, is, he has equipped you, not he's going to equip you along the way. Like You're not like some apprentice that has to learn how to use the hammer, then you get the drill, then you get that. No, that's not how this works. You are given everything you need to perform good works, to be his masterpiece, and to reach the lost. Well, I'm, I'm a little rough around the edges. That's okay. You know what? Because I know people who are a little rougher on the edges who've had more gospel conversations than I've ever had in my life. You know why? 
Because people like to be around them, they trust them, and they enjoy being around them. God has given them a great platform to open up their homes, to let people in. Guys, you're going to see people, talk to people, know people that I would never, ever see in a million years. You, you ain't ever going to catch me in Africa, okay? Listen, I like AC, Wi-Fi, and TV, you know what I'm saying? You ain't never going to catch me in Africa. And you know what? If God ever sends me out of this country, you know for sure it's him because I'm going to triple, double, quadruple check, okay? So listen, I know God has called me here, and that's great, and that's awesome. But God has also called people like Lauren to the nations where they're going to get to, she's going to get to reach and minister to thousands of kids and hundreds of thousands of people. She's going to have the amazing opportunity to reach the masses, and I'm going to support her and pray for her, and that's going to be a beautiful picture. But God has also called me, Etienne Doucet, in Sebring, Florida, to lead people the way that he's called me to do. But guess what? He's also called you in your very home. You may wake up next to somebody who needs to know the gospel. You may know some kids down the hallway that haven't put their trust in Jesus yet. You may step into work tomorrow, and you're going to know somebody who needs the hope of Jesus. And you're going to get the opportunity to love on them and lead them well. Can I tell you what, what I think the thing is about the, the, the reason why they were so empowered by the Spirit is because they had to lean on the Spirit? Guys, we, they prayed for everything. Can you imagine if your life was at risk, right? Like, if you were risking your life for everything you believed in every single day, you wouldn't help but to have to trust the Spirit, right? Because what we've done for some reason is we started to call on God, but can I tell you what we call on God for? And I'm guilty, so I'm preaching myself. I ain't preaching to y'all. I'm preaching myself here. We call on God as if the most important thing he can do for us is bless our food and keep us safe at night. We call on God as if the only thing he can offer is turning these, carrot, or these cookies into carrots for me, please, to nourish my body. And then we, it's going to nourish, God, the food, nourishes, the food nourishes your body anyways, no matter what happens, okay? It goes down and you eat it, whatever. But as if we have to, the only time we're calling out to God is, God, bless this meal, thank you. And I lay my head down at night and say, God, keep me and my family safe. What if our prayers started to change and we started to call out to God and say, God, give me a gospel opportunity today. And when we see it, we hear it, we feel it, we don't run from it, right? When we have the feeling like, man, I need to go talk to that person. Or I need to call that person. Or I need to text that person. Or I need to, we don't say, oh, you know, little old me, I'm an introvert. I don't really like people. I don't talk to people. That's hard. What if we started to trust the spirit of God in us to do the work through us? Because he's more committed to making disciples in you and through you than you would ever be on your best day. And we make terrible Jesuses, we make terrible gods, but he in us will do a great work if we allow him to. If we submit our hands, our hearts, and our minds to him, he wants to use you to preach the gospel in your very, everywhere you go. Point four here. They were motivated, they motivated others by their lives. Verse 22 says, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So the church of Jerusalem, where it was all happening, this moment started, everything's going on, right? They had all this great stuff going on. They said, guess what? There's this church of these people called them, them, they're out there chilling, minding their own business. There's a lot of great things happening. The gospel's moving. We're going to go send Barnabas to go check it out. We need to see what, what the deal is. What's goody over there? Barnabas, Barnabas experiences this. 
So what does he do when he experiences? He starts to go look for Saul and Tarsus. Tarsus is where Saul's from, okay? If you don't remember the road to Damascus moment, remember the guy who was killing Christians, walking down a road, all of a sudden a bright light shines, ah, and all of a sudden he gives, he's like, oh, what, what's going on here? I can't see. Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden he's like, oh man, I messed up. Now I know who you are. I probably should listen up and stop killing your people. You know what I'm saying? So Saul has this moment, right? And so, so we don't know for sure if Saul was going back to Tarsus because he was giving up or because he was afraid. But I would guess, I would assume from context clues, that he would only go back after being dispersed if he was either A, discouraged, afraid, or he was throwing in the towel. I don't know. But Barnabas goes and gets him and says, dude, you got to see what's happening in Antioch, bro. You have to come with me. It's incredible. It's amazing. And I'm bringing you with me whether you like it or not. And so they go to Antioch, right? They spend a whole year there. And as they spend a whole year there, there's a couple things that change. In fact, this is the moment in Acts 13.9 uh, where, where they start changing. They change Saul's name to Paul. They change one letter. The only reason why I think that could be, this is a side note, by the way. I totally think that could be because can you imagine, like, you were Saul, the Christian killer, and someone's like, go, let's go hear Saul preach. You're like, Saul, I don't know about that guy. That doesn't seem, sounds like a trap. You know, like Star Wars, it's a trap. That's what, that's what it kind of sounds like, you know what I'm saying? And so maybe they like, let's change the lettering, and then maybe he'll be able to, like, you know, maybe more people will show up to his sermons. You know what I'm saying? We feel bad for the guy. But imagine this. Even Ananias. Y'all remember Ananias went and visited him? Um, God's like, hey, Ananias, you're going to have to go see Saul. He's like, you said Saul? Like, the killing guy, the bad guy? No, we're good, bro. And you realize something in this moment that maybe this was this transformation moment. Again, context clues. This is side note Etienne here. That maybe, just maybe Saul was so defeated and so discouraged that he needed to be encouraged. So he goes and spends time with these people. And when he spends time with these people, guess what? They weren't magical, crazy, honest, and priests. They were you and me. It'd be as if Saul and Barnabas walked and sat in these front pews and they said, wow, these people love me, they care for me, they're nurturing, and they want to spread the gospel. This is what I want to do. This is how it's supposed to be. And can I tell you something crazy? We have to believe Again, contest clues, that if it not been for them, there would not have been a Paul. I think we downplay the role and work that we have in the day-to-day life as a believer. Guys, them is us. That is our role to play. We have an amazing opportunity to be invited into the rescue mission of God, to preach the gospel to people, to live in relationship with people. And it doesn't mean that every day I go through that I have to make sure that I check off the list that I told three people about the gospel. What are you doing with your time and energy and intentionally spending it into people that can do nothing for you? What does it look like? Are you just hanging out with people that look like you, act like you, and think like you, vote like you? Are you inviting people that look differently than you, think differently than you, believe differently than you, and you invite them to your table and you love them? Hey, we're not going to talk about politics. I know you way on that side and I'm way on this side. This person's somewhere in the middle. That's great. Hey, we're not going to bring that up, but we're going to just talk about life. Let's enjoy life together. We start to do life on life with people. We realize that that's what them did well. They were intentional. And this is it for y'all. If you want to know how we we play this role, we talk about the do's here. Guys, first thing we have to start doing is we have to start taking God's mission personally. The calling of the Great Commission is not some lofty calling for a few people, the pastors and elders and the, the greeting team and the deacons. That's their job. No, no, no. It is the average calling of the everyday believer. That means that we are all called to go and make disciples. It's not, it's not exclusive, it's inclusive.
We can be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. We have to start to call on God. We start to call on God and trust God with the everyday things of life. Meaning, you may not be able to harbor the conversation on your own, but trust the Spirit of God to guide you through it. It may be painful. You may forget what you're, what's going on in the moment, but guess what? Trust him. He'll lead you through it. I skipped one and got out of order, so we'll go back. We can take gospel conversations to the lost. We have to start to talk about Jesus, y'all. Like, I know it's cool to wear t-shirts and crosses and tattoos and all those things. Those are awesome. But we have to start to talk about Jesus. And lastly, we can motivate others by our life. We can be them. Arguably one of the greatest movements in Christianity. We would not be here if it weren't for them. It's not some crazy secret formula that you need to go to seminary. You need to know every word of the Bible. It's not crazy, lofty words and language and understanding. It simply means that I'm willing to submit all things to God. And I want my life to look like Jesus. I want people, when I am one day in, on, in my funeral, when, I'm, when I, people show up, if five people show up, 100 people show up, it doesn't matter. It, but when people show up, I pray that the thing that they remember most is not that I was a good husband or a good whatever or a good youth pastor, whatever it may have been. It, it would be that I was a godly man who submitted all things to him. Man, you know what, what was amazing about Etienne? You know what's amazing? About Martha, you know what's amazing about Joe? You know what's amazing about Cameron? You know what's amazing about Chris? You know what's amazing? Man, they just love Jesus. And I couldn't help but feel Jesus around them. It wasn't the sermon he preached, it was the conversation he had. Because guess what, your pastors, your elders, and all of us in this room, you're, if you, I haven't done it yet, it's coming, trust me. Uh, we'll let you down eventually. And when you put us on these pedestals, you put us on these ideas, and you make it our job to save your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your brothers and sisters, we will fail you. We really will. It's guaranteed, 100%. But I'll tell you what. You know who's not going to fail you? The power of the living God that dwells with you and wants to use you to reach your aunt, your cousin, your uncle. We can be them. We are them. It's time we just start living like it. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the amazing opportunity we have to just dive deeper into your word, God, and just grow in understanding what it means to follow you and be your children. God, thank you for your faithfulness and caring so deeply about us that yet while we were sinners, while we were enemies, like Ritter said earlier, God, that you still died for us. You didn't give us a bunch of lists and rules to figure out to make our way to you, God, that you didn't wipe your hands of us and say that we could never be enough. So God, I pray for those in the room who don't know you, God, I pray that they come to have a conversation with you and find someone and ask the questions they need to ask. But God, thank you for your faithfulness and love. In Jesus' name, amen.